0: Frank Einstein, a.k.a. Madman, begins his search for the missing Dr. Boyford and burns bridges in the process. Madman's longtime associate, Dr. Flim, refuses to aid in the search, concerning himself only with his latest experiment. Meanwhile, Joe joins her father at an exterminator's convention? Join Madman as he makes new friends, says goodbye to some old ones, gets his act together, and begins a strange new adventure. It's the exit of Dr. Boyford, and you won't believe your eyes. That's today on Just Another Fanboy. Who did this? A madman, Your Honor! You're a madman! What kind of madman? That sweet madman. Good God, this is a madman! You're a madman? He's a madman! Does that make me sound like a madman? We are dealing with a madman. You are a madman! Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that's missed each and every one of you. Did you, I don't know, did you miss it? Yeah, well, that's okay. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and... Dang it, I thought it was about time that we got back into the life of Frank Einstein. So today, we're going to talk about Madman Comics number 12. This issue was published by Dark Horse in April of 1999. It sold for $2.95, and it is entitled The Exit of Dr. Boyford Part 1, Burning Bridges. It was written by Mike Allred with art by Mike Allred. And the colors were by Laura Allred. Now, before we get into it, if you need to get caught up, the easiest way for you to go out there and do that, if you're not already there, you want to go check out the Just Another Fanboy Reads Madman Comics feed out there wherever you get your podcasts, because all the episodes are there, each and every one of them, all 21 of the previous episodes are there on that one feed. So yeah. If you haven't done so, go do that. Go subscribe. Go catch up. Then maybe this episode will make a little bit more sense. As the issue opens, Frank and Joe are in the park having a picnic. Frank is swinging on a tire swing and having a super great time when he swings too high and he falls off, careening toward Joe and the food she set out on a blanket. Worried that Frank is going to kick grass and dirt all over the food, she quickly covers it all with the blanket. Frank, rolling to a stop just before the blanket, uses the experience to illustrate just how much of a bad person he is. See, back in issue number 11, Frank learned that he used to be a hitman before he died and was brought back to life by Doctors Flem and Boyford, and now he's worried that his past will come back to haunt him. Joe, on the other hand, is having none of it. While Frank is sticking black olives to his fingertips and miming the act of gunning folks down in cold blood, Joe tells him that despite who he used to be, now she's never met a more kind, more sweet, more loving person in her entire life. Frank, on the other hand, suggests that maybe they should take a break from each other, thinking that he's bound to hurt her eventually, either by his own hand or by someone from his past coming for him. Joe, once again, is having none of it. Eventually, with their picnic over, the two go their separate ways. Joe is traveling with her father to spend a few days at an entomology convention while Frank goes off to search for his missing friend, Dr. Boyford. Frank refers to the entomology convention as the bug convention, which, considering that entomology is the branch of zoology concerned with the study of insects, Frank would be spot on. And, of course, if you remember from the Madman Adventures three-issue mini, we learned that Joe's dad is a retired exterminator. So, that makes sense, I guess. Why the two would attend a bug convention. Anyway, Frank arrives at Dr. Flem's lab to recruit him to aid in the search of Dr. Boyford. After all, Dr. Flem did say he would help. Flem, however, would rather Frank help him test a new experimental ionizer. Frank, normally so thoughtful and calm and always willing to help, lashes out in a rage, punching at one of the stone walls in the lab and taking a healthy-sized chunk out of it in the process. Frank has had enough. And so when Dr. Flem scolds him, saying, Frank, that will do now, well, Frank unloads. <laughs> he screams at Dr. Flem telling the man that all he is to Phlegm is another tool to be used to further his own experiments. Frank is always there for him. Why can't Phlegm be there for Frank once in a while? He promised Frank he would help find Dr. Boyford, and Frank is tired of waiting. Mott, who was there to witness the entire meltdown, tries to comfort Frank, placing a hand on his shoulder and saying the one thing you don't say to anyone who is hysterically shouting it everyone around them in a rage. He tells Frank to calm down. And so Frank shouts at Mott for a bit. You calm down. I'm calm. You be calm. I'm the calmest of any who. Who? You. You who? This hurts Mott's feelings and so he leaves. Dr. Flem begins to scold Frank once more when Bonnie steps in as the voice of reason, calmly telling Dr. Flem that really Frank's right and that Dr. Flem owes him an apology. Flem, seeing the error of his ways, reaches out a hand to Frank, apologizing for taking Frank for granted, and then offering to give all of his time over to helping find Dr. Boyford. If Frank would just first help him finish this newest project. Well, as you can imagine, Frank explodes. That's it. I've fallen for this lie before. Dr. B could be bleeding and needing right now, man. What if he's captured by evil forces? You think about that, you cold-hearted cretin? I've had it. I can't take you anymore. I wish you would curl up and die. I wish you were dead, stone-cold, flesh-rotting, dead. And with that, Dr. Flem asks Frank to leave. This entire scene feels like an angry teenager fighting with his father, though I take Frank's side completely in this spat. But there's even a moment when Flem tells Frank to leave that Frank is surprised. He is so sure that his point of view is the right one, that the idea that he wasn't able to make Flem see just how much of an asshole he is, it just stuns Frank for a moment. But he leaves, making sure to let everyone know, like the petulant teenager he's being, that he's not sorry, not one bit, and that they won't have him to poke and prod anymore. He, even as he boards the elevator, leaves them with the final, Goodbye, you big stinky butt. A little bit later, Dr. Gail Gale finds Frank in a locker room where Frank is taking the jetpack that he's used before. And she tells Frank that first, the jetpack is out of gas. But more importantly, she agrees with him. She takes his side and she hands over a DNA tracker that he can use to find Dr. Boyford, whom she too is quite concerned about. They hug. And Frank leaves, taking the jetpack with him, despite it having an empty tank. So in the whole Frank's a teenager fighting with his dad thing, what would that make Gail here at this point? Would she be like the mom or maybe a big sister? Personally, I'm leaning toward the big sister thing here. What do you think? Just another fanboy at gmail.com. Anyway, once outside, Frank is approached by a man named Hugh Rodrigo. Frank's standing on a sidewalk. The jetpack is in a backpack slung across one shoulder, and the guy in the back of a limo pulls up to Frank and offers him a ride. When Frank turns him down, Hugh has his driver pull over and he gets out to talk to Frank on the sidewalk and asks if he can walk with him. He tells Frank that he wants to be his friend, and Frank, going a little homophobic there for a moment, thinks that maybe Hugh is trying to get him into some sort of kinky sex thing. But, That's not at all what this is. Hugh, it turns out, is rich, and he likes to use his money to help people. He often seeks out and adopts new friends at random to, well, he never actually gets to finish telling us what he does, because it's at that point that Mike Mattress and his partner drive by just to insult Frank. As they drive away, Frank picks up a rock and throws it at the retreating car, watching as it crashes through their back window. The car screeches to a stop and immediately backs up, coming to get Frank, which is very reminiscent of the scene in the very first Madman comic, the first one ever, when almost the exact same thing happens on the road from Snap City to Buzztown with a pair of homophobic rednecks with rifles and a pickup truck. Well, here, Mike chases Frank and his new friend into a cemetery, guns a blazing. He is out to kill Frank and anybody with him. Frank and Hugh hide out among the tombstones, eventually finding sanctuary under the stone slab of a grave. Mike, unable to find Frank, he eventually just gives up and leaves. Hugh, feeling that Frank has saved his life, offers to do anything for Frank to make up for it. And so Frank asks for a tank of gas. They go to a gas station, They gas up Frank's jetpack, and so, all fueled up and ready to go, with the DNA tracker on his arm, Frank races through the air, trying to get a fix on Dr. Boyford. He picks up the trail and takes off, encountering a huge swarm of bees, which he flies into. As he is among the stinging bees, the tracker goes crazy as if Dr. Boyford is right on top of Frank. But, in order to shed himself of the swarm, Frank is forced to dive into a lake. Now safe from the bees, he sees that the tracker is no longer picking up Dr. Boyford's DNA signature, and he wonders if maybe the bees are somehow carrying some of Dr. Boyford's DNA. So, finding a mason jar with the lid among the trash people have thrown into the lake, he rinses it out, and he flies back up to the swarm, capturing a few so that he can take them to Joe at the bug convention for study. Little does he know, as he flies away with his jar of samples, he is being watched by a shadowy figure among the trees. A shadowy figure that appears to be wearing a cape and has a pair of antennae sticking out of the top of its head. This is the work of a madman. All right, so let's look at the book itself. Start with the cover. It's a very classic, great-looking cover. It's Frank. On the front, in, of course, his madman costume, wearing a leather jacket. And then in the background are panels from within the book, which I always find pretty interesting. I'm not going to go through this page by page, but I will point out certain bits here that I really enjoyed. Uh, For example, Frank putting the olives on his fingertips and then pretending to gun people down. I found that very silly. It's totally like Frank to take something as serious as the fact that he used to be a killer, a hitman, someone who was really good at his job. Frank doesn't remember a lot about it, but he, he remembers that. He doesn't remember. I don't think he remembers what his name is at this point. But while he is working through that and talking to Joe about that, he sticks olives on, each, on the ends of each one of his fingers. And Joe kind of decides here that maybe Frank shouldn't be alone. And tells him that she won't go to the entomology convention with her dad. Frank tells her, no, you can't do that. The bug convention is the one thing you and your dad have always done together. I don't want to be the reason for breaking a tradition. He'll hate me. And she says, ah, it's just a stupid convention. He won't care. And he's suddenly really excited. Really? And she goes, well, no, I'm lying. He will care. And he goes, oh, and he looks sad. And then she says, but he'll get over it. And he's like, really, you think? And she goes, well, no, he'll probably steam for weeks, but that's his problem. And he goes, oh, but then that's when he suggests that maybe they shouldn't even be together. It's kind of like a throwaway line because he says, well, when she says that's his problem, he says, yeah, and it'll be my, our problem if we ever want him to accept us being together. She says, you let me worry about that. And he says, no, maybe we shouldn't even be together. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really sure about Joe's reaction here because I know it's done for comedic effect, but it's really creepy at the same time because she takes him by the throat and starts choking him. And she's just like, don't you, don't dare, you dare even think about, about talking about like, like that. that. We're we're meant meant for for each each other other. and nothing nothing has has or ever ever will break break us up. up. Not Not even you. you. (laughs) The very next panel, they're walking hand in hand and we get a bit of narration from Frank, which typically is stuff that he has written in his journal. And he's saying, what was I thinking? Gosh, Joe sure is persuasive. I'd better wind down on the angst. One of these days she might reach her fed up point. And he's, there holding her hand, asking her, what did I ever do to deserve you? And she says, just don't ever forget how much I love you, Frank. And so, yeah, reading that in the wrong light, coming across that by itself, you would immediately think that Joe is not right for Frank, that this is an abusive relationship. So I almost, I don't know, I've always read it as comedic. It just wasn't until this last time through, you know to 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 do this episode that I'm I'm reading it and I'm like wait a minute that that's not good that <laughs> that's that's not something that Frank really needs in his relationship is his girl choking him out because he made an offhand comment uh, about leaving her so again I know it was just used for comedic effect I know that Joe is not some crazy psycho stalkerish obsessive If I can't have him, nobody will have him and I will kill him and bury him under the basement type of person. But maybe the joke was going a little bit too far because that is exactly how she comes across here. Frank ends up back at Dr. Flem's lab and I've just noticed that Mott, the alien from the planet Hoople, is wearing a turtleneck sweater and has a peace sign emblem hanging around his neck don't know why I think that's funny, but I think that's rather funny. This is the moment where Frank just goes off on Dr. Flem. and you know, I don't think I have, I'm really torn with this issue as far as my memories are concerned because I feel like the opening of this issue with Frank and Joe that I have read that a couple of times. but once we get into this part here for where Frank is yelling at Dr. Flem and everything afterward in this issue, It all seems brand new to me. I know I own this issue, the physical issue, and I know I own at least the following three to four issues after it, but I don't remember reading any of this bit. And maybe I bought this issue, started to read it, got distracted for one reason or another, and then another, and another, and another, and another, and another, got distracted for one reason or another and had to put it down and then just never got back to it for, I don't know, life and maybe as i have tried to get back into madman tried to find the time to get through the entire series over the last few years i've gotten up to this point a number of times to then again get distracted and not come back to it it seems like a weird place to continually get to and to stop but everything up to this point where frank is in the lab and he's lashing out at dr flem every From that point on, everything feels brand new, while everything before it feels very familiar. So, I don't know. My brain has never really quite worked well. There's a reason why I refer to myself as a neurodivergent, because I am. But I don't know that that has anything to do with this. I feel that I really have read up to a certain point and then just have never gotten past it until now. But all of this from here on out was brand new to me, reading this for what felt like the first time, a week or so ago. And that's got me super excited because I feel like, all right, well, as far as the Dark Horse run is concerned, everything is going to be brand new from here on out. And I'm, I just can't wait to read it. Now, when we get into the Image comics, I know I read the first issue, possibly the second or third. So that will be a bit familiar, but not too much because I know that I haven't read those over and over and over again. Anyway, I really quite enjoyed this scene between Frank and Dr. Flem because my immediate thought was it is about damn time. And I do feel like Mike Allred is trying to put across this idea that Frank is the petulant teenager who wants what he wants. And his dad, who has always promised to do this one thing with him, continuously finds his own stuff to be more important than what his son wants. And therefore, Frank finally has had enough and lashes out at him. And I started to give Dr. Flem the benefit of the doubt when Bonnie finally stepped in and she says, listen a sec, Gillespie. I think maybe you owe Frank an apology. You do work him ragged. He's hurting. Just try showing a little gratitude, a little appreciation. And he says, maybe you're right, Bonnie. I apologize, Frank, perhaps you are taken for granted. And Frank is very, he's not quite sure. He says, well, uh," and he, you know, he's not quite sure he's ready to trust. And that's when Dr. Phlegm shows us just how true of an asshole he is by saying, tell you what, help me finish this new project and I'll give all my time to help finding Boyford. Which, again, that's a very career orientated dad thing to do you know the son is like dad you promised we'd go out back and throw the baseball around dad you promised you'd take me to the comic book store today dad you promised you would take me shopping for shoes today and yes your son i did promise to do that and i'm sorry and we'll get to that but first how about we do this thing of mine and then we'll go do that thing of yours and that's when frank just freaking explodes and as he's screaming at Dr. Flem, and I, I read this out during the synopsis when he's, That's it, I've fallen for that lie before. Throughout this word bubble, the words are getting bigger and bigger and bigger until the last thing he says is stone cold, flesh rotting, dead. He's just screaming that at Flem. And Flem, again, being the asshole dad, just stands there and says, Are you quite finished? You've had your say, and I think it's certainly clear how you feel. So get out. Bonnie goes, Gil, no. Flem says, there's no alternative. Your services will no longer be required. Leave the premises immediately. And then Frank gets his last little dig in. Goodbye, you big stinky butt. Which, it's not very hardcore for old Frank, but there is a point in a previous issue where Frank writes in his journal that he's not able to cuss. That he wishes he could. He's tried to. But he just can't make himself cuss. And so here, instead of calling Dr. Phlegm something super mean, he calls him a big stinky butt. And then I really love this moment between Frank and Gail, how she, she knows what Frank is going through. She agrees with Frank. She's worried about Dr. Boyford as well. And so she helps Frank. Frank actually asks her if she wants to come with him, but she can't. She actually says, don't tempt me. I'll never leave here. I'm afraid. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's because she's still wrapped in these bandages because she tried to remove these tattoos that clones of Dr. Flem covered her body with. And so she wrapped herself in these chemically soaked bandages, which was supposed to get rid of the tattoos, but it actually made everything on her body from head to toe, her skin, Her internal organs, her eyes, everything except the tattoos, completely invisible. So maybe the reason why she can't leave is because she feels like the only way she's going to find a cure for herself is there with Dr. Phlegm. But I think she agrees with Frank that Dr. Phlegm is kind of a dick. And so she wants to help Frank. And again, I don't know if she's being the mom here or I I lean more toward big sister. She's a, a big sister that's seen this conflict between Frank and Dr. Phlegm for a couple of years now. She's like 10 years older than Frank, you know, and so she she wants to help him out because he's her kid brother. And when they hug, she says to him, I am so sorry about all the ugliness. I wish I could do something or say something to make things better. Take care of yourself, kiddo. Really like that moment. Uh, Hugh Rodrigo, I have no idea what's going on with this guy. He just came out of the blue. I don't remember anything from any of the previous issues that foreshadowed this guy coming into Frank's life. Uh, he appears to be what he claims to be, with which is just a, a guy who has a lot of money. And rather than use that money to buy up things for his life and... Control other people the way rich white people do. He wants to help others that may be less fortunate. And he does that by, I guess, choosing random people and adopting them as his friend. And during that friendship, he uses his money to help them with whatever they need. We don't really get a chance to get into it because that's when Mike Mattress and I think it's Dan Crept is the other guy's name. They never say the other guy's name in this issue. But it's the, the G-men from hell, as Frank calls them. They, they both have red glowing eyes. They are uh, private detectives that Joe works for or used to work for. And Mike Mattress does not like Frank in any way. And so as they're speeding by, Mike leans out of the car and yells, Hey, what's that smell? Look, it's that loser, Frank Einstein. And Frank's like, he has picked the wrong day to pick on me. And that's when he chucks the rock into the back window and all hell breaks loose at that point. Mike Mattress, a gun in each hand chases Frank and Hugh into a graveyard where they hide behind some tombstones. There's a lot of names on these tombstones that I don't know exactly who they might be. Uh, One tombstone says Warner still alive in our hearts. There's a tombstone that just says Boyd. There's a tombstone that says Shrek. And I don't know if that's Bob Shrek. Uh, certainly it's not the animated movie Shrek that Mike Meyer made famous. Cause I don't think that had come out at this point. There's a uh, tombstone that says Amara not dead yet with a asterisk next to yet. And then at the bottom of the gravestone, we see what the asterisk means, which is just yet. So it says Amara, not dead yet. Yet. There's a Roberg, a Schutz, a Calhoun, or is that Carlin? That might be Carlin. There's a Dare, Miss You, and Jamie S. Rich with uh, the word Y and a question mark under it. There was actually a gravestone we saw uh, a couple of pages earlier when Frank is standing on the sidewalk on the corner singing a song alone again, naturally. And when Hugh's limo pulls up, Hugh has a a license plate on the front of the limo that's green with a dollar sign on it. But the cemetery is behind Frank, and we see another gravestone. And it says, Kevin Kelly, beloved son, overworked assistant, 1972 to 1998. So I wonder if that is an assistant of Allred, who maybe stopped working for them in 1998 or maybe passed away in 98. I don't know. But Frank and Hugh hide from mattress by climbing into a grave. I don't know what you would consider this type of grave. It's, it's, it's a very shallow grave that is lined in concrete. The I think most graves are, but this does not seem to be one that's six feet deep. And there's a big concrete slab over the top of it. I don't know if that's considered a crypt or a cairn. I, I don't know, but they managed to move the slab of concrete, the big lid off of it, and they hide in there, which really freaks Hugh out. But Mike and Dan leave because they can't find Frank. We see another pair of gravestones that I finally understand. One says Smith and one says Mosier. That would be Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier. They do have a connection with Mike Allred because when they made mall rats, Mike Allred did cover art to if you've ever seen Mallrats, the whole opening credit sequence is all comic book covers done by various comic book artists that introduce the various characters within the movie. And I feel like Mike Allred's is the Jay and Silent Bob cover, Uh, but it might not be. I don't remember. Anyway, he's also the guy who did all the art for both Blunt Man and Chronic and the Chasing Amy book that is in the movie Chasing Amy. So he does have a connection. He's actually in Chasing Amy for just a moment where he's talking to Ethan Suplee, who, who is a fan at his table. And he's saying to Ethan, I love Chow Yun-Fat. I just don't see him playing Madman. Apparently there might've been a rumor at, at the time because he is a big Chow Yun-Fat fan, but the rumor was that he was gonna play Madman. And there was going to be a Madman movie at one point, and it's just never happened. And that makes me sad. I think there needs to be a Madman movie. I would love to see a Madman movie. However, it needs to be animated. And frankly, I think it needs to be computer animated, but in such a fashion that it looks like a cross between computer animation and traditional cell animation. And it's made to look exactly like Allred's style. That's That needs to happen. Somebody needs to get out there and do that. And so Frank gets Hugh to fill up his jetpack with gas just at a regular old gas station. And then he flies off to find Dr. Boyford. There's the bit with the bees. We don't know what the bees signify in regard to Boyford, but there appeared to be something about them that caused the DNA tracker to... You know, go crazy with a lot of alerts as if Dr. Boyford was right there, but he wasn't. It was just a bunch of bees. So we don't know what that means. We don't know if the bees are carrying some of his DNA or if, I don't know, are they bees that were made from Boyford's DNA? We just don't know. I love that he wants to collect a sample of them, but of course he doesn't have anything on him. But there is trash in the lake. And one of the pieces of trash is a mason jar that he can rinse out and fly up and grab a couple of bees and then as he's flying away we see this guy with a cape and antenna watching him and it says next silence of the moth and the cover to the next issue looks pretty freaking cool and again i'm fairly certain i haven't read that issue so i'm really excited about what's coming next now before i let you go cuz I, I i think that's all i have to say about this particular issue i did want to talk about the order in which I'm talking about the issues. Because, I don't know if my voice cracked. Did I sound like Peter Brady there for a second? But originally, when I took my break from Just Another Fanboy, we ended with episode number 315, which was Madman Part 21, in which I looked at the Superman, Madman, Hullabaloo number three. I had been well, I'm reading all of these through the Madman, the big Madman library editions. I've got the the four volumes that are out so far. And I haven't been reading them in the order in which they appear in the library editions. I've been reading them in the order in which they were published. Because certain books like the Superman, Madman, Hullabaloo, and Nexus Meets Madman were published during this Madman comics run. And so I talked about those between Madman issue number 11 and then this issue number 12. And frankly, when it comes to Mike Allred stuff, we also got Red Rocket seven, one through seven that released after the Superman, Madman Hullabaloo, but before issue number 12. And we got the two issues of the Madman, uh, jam or Madman, the jam crossover, two issues of that, which I had said when we came back, we were going to be talking about Red Rocket 7, then Madman, The Jam, and then we would get back to the main Madman series. But I decided, nah, I want to stick with the Madman stuff. Anything that's primarily part of the Madman universe and in essence deals with Madman, that's what we're going to go through first. And then eventually I'll go back and look at some of the crossovers, which I guess the only thing at this point is Madman the Jam, and then we would look at Red Rocket 7. However, I will say this. So right now, we are in the the beginning of the second volume of the Madman Library Edition. So this collects Madman Comics issues 11 through 20, the Madman Superman Hullabaloo 1 through 3, which we've already talked about, Nexus meets Madman, which we've already talked about. Madman the Jam, issues one and two. And then there's a couple of, a few like one shots. There's a Madman king sized super groovy special, which has a story by Allred and stories by others. There's a uh, Madman all new giant sized super ginchy special, which again has a story by Allred, uh, but also stories by others. So, I'm definitely going to focus on going forward issues 13 through 20 of Madman comics. I will then look at some of these one shots that are in here that are done by Alred that are about Madman and I may talk about those. Otherwise, I'm going to then jump from this one to volume three. But here's the thing with volume three. There are actually no Madman comics in volume three. It's Red Rocket 7, issues 1 through 7, and The Atomics, issues 1 through 15. But I feel like I should read The Atomics and talk about those because they kind of bridge the Dark Horse series with Madman Atomic Comics that launches uh, over at Image. I've never read The Atomics. If you haven't, I'm not going to give anything away here, but I do know who The Atomics are. And they are very much tied into Madman and his universe. They are a part of Madman or Frank's universe. And he does at least appear in the first issue. So I do feel like I need to read those before getting into the image books. So we're definitely going to do that. So we're going to get issues 13 through 20 of Madman comics. Then we're going to look at the Atomics 1 through 15. And then we'll get into Madman Atomic comics that were published over at Image. And then maybe at various points in between there, we may talk about some of the One Shots or the Madman, the Jam crossover or Red Rocket 7. I don't know. Right now, I just want to focus on Madman because that's the one series that, again, I've never finished and I want to, I want to finish it. I've I've started these goals in 2023 with certain series that have beginnings and ends that I have started and never finished. Uh, one was Invincible. I got that. Re- I, I started that over this year and I got all the way through it and finished it. Um, one was a reread of Akira, which I had read before a couple of decades back. And I've tried to reread it a number of times and only got to a certain point and had to keep stopping for whatever reason and finally got it read through again. And I want to do The Walking Dead because that's something that I have started, never finished. And I want to do Madman. So Madman is the one that's on my list that I'm going to do next or now. And that's what I'm working on now. So that's what you're going to get, folks. That means that in the next episode, which will hopefully be out next week, we're going to be looking at part two of the exit of Dr. Boyfer. That's in Madman Comics issue number 13. And hopefully we'll find out who this mysterious cake figure might be somebody called the moth possibly i don't know let's find out until then folks my name is steven and i'm just another fanboy be nice to each other the Just Another Fanboy podcast is a Stephen or Else production. Questions and comments can be directed to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to give you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate this show wherever available and share this podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job. <laughs> oh <laughs> Gotta find the stuff that I put on the end, cause I need to do it again, I need to do it again, I need to record it one more time, see if I have it written down somewhere.